Hey there. Hello. Have I ever made you my green spaghetti? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I feel like you've been there once while I made it. Yes, it was a long ago, so. Well, I say my, I stole it from Kyle. (laughs) This is not my recipe. Very good recipe, very easy. You just take frozen spinach, thaw it, drain that shit, put it in a food processor with a bunch of Parmesan, bunch of olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, and you have basically a pesto. Yeah. Um, The point of this is that I'm full of green spaghetti, which means I'm full of carbs, which means I'm getting sleepy. So you got to keep me entertained today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're my after lunch class. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got it. My siesta class. Yeah. Fair enough. We can do it. Okay. We're going to be learning about something that I was telling you this before we were recording (laughs) that I feel like the Charlie and Always Sunny meme, like where he's in front of the conspiracy board. (laughs) Yeah. I don't watch yeah. the show, so I don't actually know like what that's referencing. But I don't remember. I've I've seen it, but I, it's been so long. It's like the crazy eyed, you know, mm-hmm. and he's got all the yarn things. Like that's what I feel like because we are going to be learning today about something called Operation Condor. Okay, great. All right. Uh, so Operation Condor. First of all, I was wrong before. It is not Uh-oh. what happened in the Americans. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. I know. That's how we tease this thing. It's, that is actually also referring to some U.S. fuckery. Okay. <laughs> it's similar. Uh, we were training Contra rebels from Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And it that is, in a way, co- sort of an offspring of Operation mm. Condor, but it's not the same thing. Mm, okay, okay, okay. Different thing. So right off the bat. We fucked up, guys. Yeah, but hopefully going <laughs> forward, we won't fuck up as much. All Great. right, so Operation Condor was a secret intelligence and covert operations alliance created in the 1970s, although it has far earlier roots that we'll talk about. Okay. Sounds bad so far. Yeah, it was in South America also. Military dictatorships there shared intelligence and hunted their collective political opponents. Ooh, hunted. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they were terrorizing anyone who they labeled as leftist subversives with kidnappings, torture, disappearances, and executions. All right. Well, we were talking about it earlier. We probably should go ahead and do a content warning. Sounds like this is going to be a rough one. Yeah. I was talking about this with Abby earlier, and I said, I'm going to be kind of glad when we're researching something relatively... <laughs> Lighter in tone, which I know is not something we always do, but... Yeah, Jesus, okay. Oof. Uh, So, yes, content warning. I'm not a big proponent of just showing you exactly how gruesome detail everything is. Mm -mm, We don't need that. But there's still really a lot of tragedy that should be brought out to show what this was about. Yeah, we're not going to get into fucking body horror. Like, I will just stop you. (laughs) You'll just leave. Yeah, I will hang up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not what we're about, but... We do want to kind of highlight the human cost of this. For sure, for sure. Operation Condor. So officially, it begins November 28th, 1975. Okay. And officially, it's, it's as far as ending goes, it's a little more complex and mm-hmm. kind of like tapers off. Yeah. Some, a lot of people mark it as the end of the Argentine dictatorship in 1983. Mm, okay. Although it kind of unofficially continues until 1990. That's when you have a particular kidnapping event of uh, Salvadoran socialist Hector O'Kelly and Gilda Flores in Guatemala, which mm. like basically follows the template 
of Operation Condor, so it can kind of be seen mm, as yeah. its last operation. Mm, okay. There may be more after that because this whole thing is a secret operation that is yeah. like tenuously uncovered. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like 20 years from now we're like, oh yeah, well, we found some more. Right. And this whole thing is is was very interesting to research. A couple of the sources that obviously I started on Wikipedia, but I really had to get like kind of more in depth here. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched one documentary called Investigating Operation Condor. Director is Rodrigo Vasquez. Mm-hmm. And also I read a book, most of the book anyway, uh, by J. Patrice Sherry uh, called Predatory States, Operation Condor and Covert War in Latin America. Okay. And there were some other articles too. It's all on the Patreon. Yeah. Perfect. This will be super link heavy. So if you're wanting to follow along, join up with that Patreon. Yeah. Five bucks gets you access to all the notes. Uh, we've had like several students like reach out and say like, yeah, I use these for class. So like if you're writing papers and shit, this is this is what you want. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So it's hard to uncover everything in the details. I mean, those sources that I'm citing, they're they're working off of declassified CIA uh, State Department cables and stuff. Fuck. All heavily redacted. They're trying to put together whatever they can. As far as the death toll of Operation Condor goes overall, we me- I mean, we mentioned the things they were up to, so obviously they've got a death toll. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. also hard to tabulate, but as far as like an estimation, you're looking at somewhere around 60,000 to 80,000 people-ish. Oh, that's a lot of people. That's Those are deaths. Ultimately, wow. it's unknowable. You're probably looking at more than 400,000 prisoners at some point in time overall. Okay. Shit. Okay. Yeah. Because this is covering a huge swath of South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the dictatorships involved here are Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Paraguay, and Uruguay. Uh, later on, Ecuador and Peru will join. And like I said, later on, uh, these Condor type operations will be exported to Central America mm. in the 80s, like the Contras and stuff. We were Okay, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Like, th- I was <laughs> doing some research on these regimes in particular, because I just didn't know a lot about them. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. there were some assholes there at the time. <laughs> but we can kind of go through, if you want, a little cast of characters here. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. We mentioned it last week, like our Open Veins episode like touches on some of these dictatorships. So that's pretty much all I know about this. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's, let's go through this hall of infamy. Who's up first? Their, their Pokemon card. Yes. Pokemon number one, Argentina Uh, under in 1976, uh, they had a coup that was supported by the United States. Surprise, Mm -hmm. surprise. Classic. And the country was governed by what was called the National Reorganization Process. Okay. Which was a military junta. Okay. uh, Led by several dictators of the armed forces. One of the main ones is a guy named Jorge Rafael Videla. Okay. From 1976 to 1981. The whole thing lasts till 83 before they open back up to democratic elections and stuff. Shit. Okay. These guys are, I mean, a horribly repressive regime. Yeah. In Bolivia, you had a period of military rule from 1964 to 1982. In part of that, you actually kind of had some decent, like, generals that were trying to do good shit. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes he had mm-hmm. assholes. Sometimes he had good shit, guys. Okay. But the, the the main, I guess, villain here would be a guy named Hugo Banzer. Okay. Who was a graduate of a place we'll talk about a little bit later called the School of the Americas. Okay. I got a b- bad vibe from this name. <laughs> you should. Okay. Uh, and he takes power <laughs> in a coup in 1971. A coup <sighs> supported by the United States. Okay. So we're seeing a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> from yeah. what i remember in open veins and i'm i don't know if this is the case for all of them but like mm-hmm. is it because they were kind of dabbling in some socialism and they're like Mm-mm, we can't do that with videla the country like in argentina mm-hmm. the country was already kind of in a bad spot it wasn't necessarily doing socialist things okay uh, at that time with hugo banzer he overthrew a a general so in a way a dictator but a leftist one mm. named Juan Jose Torres. Okay. Who was like explicitly socialist and doing socialist <laughs> shit. And that's why he got knocked off. Great, great. So Banzer's in, in charge for 71 to 78. And then they have some other assholes, but they're they're bad. So <laughs> Okay, yeah. Till 1982. Shit, okay. In Brazil, you had a military dictatorship from 1964 to 1985. They have a few bad guys. Just all bad guys, okay. Yeah. They also came to power. In a coup, mm-hmm. supported by the United States. <laughs> Damn, y'all. Yeah. In a coup specifically against uh, Jao Golart. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong because I'm bad at Portuguese pronunciations, but uh, his nickname was Django. That's a great nickname. The, yeah. He was uh, <laughs> a leftist. That's what Okay. Yeah. Doing too much leftism. Can't have that. Got knocked off. Yeah. Chile, military dictatorship from 1973 to 1990. The entire time of that pretty much was under the rule of a real asshole named Augusto Pinochet. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. He's the guy that came to power in a coup, supported <laughs> by the United States. Oh. Uh, this was the famous coup of Salvador Allende's democratically mm. elected socialist government oh, in 1973. Okay. In Paraguay, you mm-hmm. had the, what was called, the time period was called El Stronato. Okay. Which was the rule of a fellow named Alfredo Stressner. Okay. And he kind of came to power in a coup of his own. I mean, it wasn't like U.S. backed, really. Oh, he did his own thing, solo. Yeah, a solo act. They had, he had a lot to go on. Like, they had been doing coups previously. It was very unstable. Like the open veins of Latin America showed us, that is not just because they were bad at fucking government. It was because it was designed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is like when you find out that like the same producer worked with all these different artists or something. <laughs> You're like, these songs yeah. all kind of sound the same. I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we have? In Uruguay, you had a civic military dictatorship. That's what they call their time period from 1973 to 1985. Various assholes okay. in charge there. In Ecuador, you had military governments from 1972 to 1979. Brought about by a coup by a fellow named Guillermo Rodriguez, who was a graduate of the School of Americas. <laughs> Sounds bad. In Peru, you had a military dictatorship from 1968 to 1980. One of the main guys there that's implicated in the Condor stuff is Francisco Morales Bermudez. Okay. In Honduras, you had a military dictatorship from 1963 to 1982. In Guatemala, same thing, but from 1970 to 85. And in Nicaragua, you actually had a left-leaning socialist kind Mm, of government. Uh, But the Contras were like an anti-government force that the U.S. was backing. 
okay. In yeah, like yeah. the 80s. Yeah. They won't come onto the scene till after Congo, okay. really. But just to set the scene. <laughs> it's a lot. South America, specifically the region they call the Southern Cone, the very bottom part of South mm-hmm. America, uh, was dominated by military dictators who had come to power in coups either tacitly or explicitly backed by the United States for the most part. And if they weren't backed by the United States in terms of coming to power, they were backed by the United States once they were in power. Yeah, yeah. We and we'll see lie. just how explicitly here. Like, Ugh. oof, it's a lot. So what, what was, I mean, we talked about like the being anti like leftist and stuff. Was that mm-hmm. like the main reason? We were just like, well, yeah, let's, let's go fuck this up. Uh, well. We being the United States here. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it's interesting because like CIA reports and, and State Department reports and everything from the time actually say that they don't think that like the leftist forces in this region are very united at all. They don't mm-hmm. have any connections to each other. They're not actually being financed by the Soviets or anything. <laughs> They're just like nationalist sort of like liberation yeah. fights. So what it comes across as is that it's just really maintaining the U.S.'s dominance hegemony mm-hmm. in the region empire yeah it's just oh. imperialism that sucks okay you don't want Great. people in these countries rising up and demanding uh social reforms that cut into your uh, dominance of the of the hemisphere yeah because that means like your fucking metals like mining companies can't like go abuse their workers and like pay them like shit and not pay like tariffs and shit like that Right, yeah. They don't have to agree to your whole international order of free trade. Mm, Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Operation Condor, we've set the stage of like the players involved. Mm -hmm. This coordination of all these different bad regimes has a, is is part of a wider like American-led counterinsurgency strategy. Against anything leaning slightly to the left (laughs) during the Cold War. And like we said, progressive social movements, even if it's just domestically led, it has no Soviet influence. And most of the time it didn't because the Soviets like basically left everything besides Cuba. They basically left on the table and were just like, that's America. We don't want to fuck with them too much. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) It's kind of like how the United States did in like Eastern Europe and stuff. It was like, well, that's that's the Soviets. I mean, let them mm, have okay. that. Yeah. But this is defended by the nations that took part, by their leaders and stuff, and by the CIA and kind of the whole everyone who took part in it. It's defended as a necessary tactic to defend what they called Western Christian civilization. I hate that. <laughs> that was a quote from one of the generals involved. Okay, wow. I I was like, what's going to be their excuse? There's got to be some way that I could be like, oh, I could see that. Like national security even. Like, no, just straight up. Just bullshit. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could couch it in national security, but the security, it's, it's against their own people. Yeah, you know, so when you say national security, it's protection against these subversives that want to, you know, that are our political opponents, basically. Yeah. And this was a very broad definition. The dictator of Argentina, uh, Jorge Rafael Videla, mm-hmm. one of his quotes that I found interesting in this research was, a terrorist is not just someone with a gun or a bomb, but also someone who spreads ideas 
that are contrary to Western and Christian civilization. Oof. Okay. So I guess we're terrorists. I guess. Yeah. Shit. (laughs) So was that just their goal then? Like that, like did Operation Condor have like, (laughs) like a mission statement? Its mission statement uh, would have been takeout. Uh, was actually, and you, there, there are quotes from people, from the leadership involved in this. That was basically first, we're going to take out the uh, our actual subversives, political opponents, anyone we can say that these people oppose our regime. Then we're going to take out anybody who sympathizes with them at all. There, you know, anyone who is sort of tangentially related, and then we're going to take out anybody who's indifferent. Oh God. They're going to get everybody in line, starting with the most radical, and say, look, this is what happens. Don't do that. So, but when you say we, like, this is, this is the United States saying that? Or? The United States was backing them up in doing this. Like, okay. the, the U.S. was basically helping them help each other. Okay. Okay. Uh, and ultimately, the reason they were doing that was because if they strengthen these regimes that are more or less loyal to them, and this is something we saw in Open Veins where mm-hmm. Brazil was sort of playing this role of, like, the lieutenant of the United States, right? Yeah. If they can get more regimes to be like that, mm, then they don't have to, like, lift it. They're not fighting with anybody. These yeah. regimes are doing it themselves. Oh, well, okay, that's rough. Yeah. Okay. It's bad. Yeah, how'd we get here? What the fuck? (laughs) So if we're looking at Operation Condor, it's really got some antecedents in American foreign policy that trace all the way back to the 40s and the 50s. Mm, Okay. Because Condor is kind of an extension of something called stay-behind networks, which were set up in Western Europe after World War II, or at the end of World War II, really. These stay-behind forces were paramilitary forces and secret operation forces that were basically set up to do terrorism against presumably against Soviet invasion. If the Soviets took over that region. Okay. Or, I mean, what they ended up doing was just against any sort of leftist activity perceived or real. uh, And sometimes just against the government. Holy shit. So wait, who was, who was leaving these? Who was leaving these? Yeah. Who was setting these up? Uh, well, actually, several different governments had. We had our own. The United States had our own. Yeah, classic. Uh, I believe France and the United Kingdom also were operating their own. And this was a common thing, though. The Nazi Germany, for example, had something like this set up. Uh, Operation Werewolf, they called theirs. Okay. I hate Nazis, but that's a very cool name. I gotta give them that. a cool name. It was bad, but... Uh, they have a lot of cool wolf imagery. Sorry, wolves. Yeah. Wolves are unfairly <laughs> maligned in that way. This uh, stay-behind network would engage in clandestine propaganda, economic Mm. warfare, sabotage, demolition, subversion. They would help out native guerrilla movements of any sort. Shit. And the idea was that being paramilitary, they were not actually like Americans. Mm. So you had plausible deniability the whole time. So you would like hire locals? Yes, in a way, you could hire them. You could also just like recruit them. Sub, yeah, recruit them into your group and and use them for those purposes. A lot of times, they would have these groups hide weapons, like they were there were found for decades thereafter. These hidden weapon stashes throughout uh, throughout Europe. They Spooky. also collaborated with former Nazis to do this. 
Fuck. Uh, they were uh, all sorts of like just going every like they were violating all sorts of countries like sovereignty by just like hiding weapons in their yeah, in their countries the fuck, and everything. Guys? It's like I came to somebody's house and just <laughs> seen some weapons in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I encouraged your spouse to like turn on you. Yes, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so they, one of the first wow. examples of this is in Greece in the 1940s. Uh, they trained local guerrillas there. They supplied paramilitaries there with weapons. And later on, they helped the government there set up their own version of like their spy agency, their CIA, right? Mm, okay. And that Great. group eventually helps foment a, a they they do a military coup to take power in 1967 Shit. and greece is under a military dictatorship for a while oh, great, uh, because great. of that that's one outcome of the stay behind wow. forces they do it in italy too in 1948 the general elections there the italian communist party was going to take power they were very popular they had been at the forefront of anti-fascist yeah. anti-benito mussolini activity during world war ii so they had a lot of like credibility people liked them for sure so the CIA goes in and they pump millions of dollars to opposition political parties. They also go out there and put out crazy propaganda all over the place to try to discredit, do anything they can against these guys. Shit. I mean, they swing the election to the other parties. Uh. CIA director William Colby referred to it as, quote, one of the most beautiful achievements of our organization. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I just want to reemphasize we're doing this not to fight the Nazis or or Mussolini leftover forces. This is this is against other. We're using those forces. Like that's insane. Yes. You're, if that's, you're on yeah. the same side as Nazis and Mussolini sympathizers, like something's gone wrong. Yes, for sure. And that's oh. a messed up part of that. And there's also elements of that in the Condor operations too. Okay, yeah, because didn't like a lot of Nazis hide out in in, in South, South America. America? Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. There's also a group that does some of this sort of stay behind activity in Italy specifically called Masonic Lodge P2 or Propaganda Do. <laughs> okay. Which sounds, this part is some of the more conspiracy crazy stuff sounding. And yeah, really, right. honestly, this could be its own episode if it were a little bit more tied with with <laughs> communism, I guess, but it is more of a like global anti-communist secret society sort of thing. What the fuck? <laughs> and it is messed up, and it's got like so many. T- it's got uh, ties to the mafia and duh. Okay. The Vatican as Ooh, well. Ooh, okay. Didn't see that. And they coming. like they murder people left and right oh to kind of cover this stuff up. People have conspiracy theories that one of the popes was. The guy who like served for a very short time, like John Paul First or something, mm-hmm. I think it was him, was maybe killed by these guys because oh he wanted to dive God. into the money. It's crazy stuff. But anyway, this is <laughs> tied into, and they do have links to, a lot of their membership and everything has links to people involved in Operation Condor too. So that's just kind of a fun little, yeah. little link. I was going to say, like, talking about, like, swinging elections like this, it does make us sound like we're fucking conspiracy theory nutso butso people. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, that's what happens. Yes. <laughs> and it's true. it's so hard to, like, take people, you know, like, with a straight face when they're like, you just got to vote. And I'm just like, I don't know, guys. Seems like that's pretty easy to fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> That's one of the things to keep in mind as we go through this. And something that I've been kind of struggling with in my research here is how they would definitely not let anything too radical happen. And they never did let anything too radical happen in South America. They wouldn't let it fucking happen here. 
that's yeah and so it's just kind of casting my yeah i don't know casting doubts i guess and just like what did we think was going to happen with bernie and everything like just saying we all know iowa smelled bad yeah (laughs) (laughs) and honestly that was like better than it could have ended up i guess given what we're going to see here (laughs) oh god oh god (laughs) yeah we could have gotten kidnapped for having a did you order this bernie (laughs) t-shirt yeah uh (laughs) so those are some of the precursor things in terms of American foreign policy. America also starts intervening in the Americas. One of the first examples of this is we've discussed on the show uh, is in Guatemala. Okay. Where uh, Jacobo Arbenz was mm, yeah. trying to do democratic reforms, trying to do some kind of like social programs and stuff and land reform specifically mm-hmm. was what made them so mad. <laughs> And, you know, the U.S. did a did a coup there in 1954. Yeah, that was the United Fruit one, right? Yes, yeah. That yeah, was PB success. <laughs> and, I mean, for the United States, it was a success uh, yeah. in terms of propaganda and actually taking the country over for their own purposes. What it showed people in the region, though, was that even moderate, peaceful, basically capitalist reforms were going to get crushed. Shit. So what they saw in that was that, hey, we're going to have to do like some violent revolution. You know, yeah. some people started to think that. I mean, that makes sense. I, that'd be like if we got our all like like we were our all DSA, you know, <laughs> Senate, like we were all the polls were like, oh, they're for sure going to fucking win. Like, you know, we just had this grand mass movement of like electoral politics. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it gets crushed. Like, what are you going to do now? Man, can't vote your way out of this one. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's what people were thinking then. Because after that, the next big thing you have is the Cuban Revolution, which had kind of already gotten its start, but like really culminates in 1959 mm-hmm. when the communists take power, or when, I guess, Castro's government takes power and then reveals that they're going to be aligned with the, with the communists. <laughs> what a power move. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, guys. But what this showed is that a popular armed revolution can actually be successful. Mm-hmm. People can and do start demanding more change in Latin America, saying, you know, we can take control of our societies for ourselves. Fuck yeah. But they, I mean, sounds great. Mm-hmm. Bet the U.S. did not like that, though. They hated it. Yeah. <laughs> and so did the repressive governments that were there. They start beefing up their security forces against this mm. suspected subversive enemy within that is backed up by this boogeyman of global communism. Okay. It's definitely infiltrated their society with nefarious purposes, and they're determined to prevent another Cuba from happening. And they decide we've got to be ruthless about this. We've got to do whatever it takes to crush this, to keep it from happening. Mm, Okay. And so it's in 1960 that they kind of start bringing everyone together. Okay. The U.S. starts something called the Conference of American Armies. Mm, okay. It's a meeting of commanders from 17 different armies in the region at Fort Amador in the Panama Canal Zone. Another piece of imperialism. Yes. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, they start talking strategy, coordination, training, counterinsurgency. They are focused on protecting the continent from the aggression of what they call the international communist movement. Okay. Was there any aggression from the international communist movement? 
that's the thing is no like the soviets <laughs> were just like uh, we're not gonna go over there and fuck with them like we have cuba and that nearly killed everybody like we're not gonna do that like, yeah yeah they, they have big enough problems basically yeah we're trying to do our own thing area. <laughs> yeah, so they were definitely not trying to do this. Okay, great. There were, you know, leftist movements in the area, but like the CIA's own reports were saying, they were small, they were localized, they were weak, they actually posed no real threat to the oh government. Oh my so, gosh, okay, cool. But this is where you start to see kind of the, the roots of Condor germinating. Mm-hmm. And it's like we said, that's in the Panama Canal Zone, the United States starts ramping up its activities in something called the the School of the Americas, which you mentioned. Okay, a yes, times. yes. Um, this sounds like the worst anime setup ever. It's a high school anime thing, mm-hmm. but it's just like how to be American or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just how to do imperialism. Ugh, terrible. It started in 1946 as the Latin American Training Center Ground Division. But by 1961, they were focused on teaching officers of Latin American armies how to combat internal enemies. Okay. And by 1963, they were focused on the mili- on expanding the role of the military in society. Basically teaching these guys not just how to be army officers, but how <clears throat> to run a country. Ugh, okay. Because, I mean, you know, they're eventually going to back these guys up. Yeah, yeah. They'll need to know that. (laughs) Wow, okay. Uh, They also, pleasantly enough, taught torture techniques. Wow, okay. They had honed these techniques by 1963. They were starting to have experience with these in Vietnam. Mm, Yeah, that was kind of our debut for that, huh? They had set, yeah, they had set up there something called the Phoenix Program. Okay. Which was like Operation Condor in a way, but in Vietnam. So it was like this stay behind mm. network sort of thing in South Vietnam to where when North Vietnam invaded, they would attack and cut, do terrorism there. Okay. Thousands of people died in that. Shit. Okay. They also were teaching them stuff from Project X, which, I mean, that's just super villain shit right there. Project yeah, X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's like the Powerpuff Girls. Oh. Like that's Chemical X, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a counterinsurgency training program, basically. Oof, okay. So it was just a book on how to do counterinsurgency. Okay. All sorts of grim techniques in there. They were basically distributing these training manuals on how to interrogate people, how to torture people, how sometimes you got to abduct people to terrorize the populace and to stop them doing you know, <sighs> shit that you don't like. Oh, that is rough. They eventually they halted these training man they were like this is a bad look we shouldn't do these training manuals <laughs> carter did that because he thought this is like a little bit of human rights abuses you think but not to worry president ronald reagan resumed oh. them in 1982 oh thank god <laughs> yeah you know, gotta have those torture training manuals out there yeah for sure uh they also this is another precursor thing to operation condor something called project camelot okay which, again, half of this stuff sounds like it's made up. Yes. But it's Pro- not. Okay, what was the other? Project, Project X? Project X. Project, Project Camelot. Camelot. I'm still hung Phoenix up on program. fucking the werewolves of Nazi Germany. Like, <laughs> right? This sounds really made up. It sounds like a bad fanfic. It's because they're all spies and intelligence guys. So. Oh, yeah. They're all tough guys. Yeah. Project Camelot was a project that they did and they implemented it in chile and then started to kind of copycat that into other countries Ooh, can i guess what it is 
Yeah. Is it like they wanted to have a council of these countries, like the Knights of the Round Table? That would be cooler than what they did. Oh, they just really picked a name out of the hat, didn't they? <laughs> I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to have a lot of connection because what it is, it's a massive cataloging project. Okay. They uh, disguised this as a college research survey Oof. and they sent people out to just the populace and they asked them questions and they tried to basically get a catalog of everybody's political reliability. I'm never answering a survey again. <laughs> Right? Is this person maybe subversive? Oh, like, fuck, that sucks. Definitely subversive. Maybe subversive. Do they know any subversives? Like, that's what they were doing. It's like mass line, but like the mass murder line. Yes. Yeah. They're oh not trying God. to actually get your opinions to like help you. They're looking to come back around later. Oh. And so they put this whole thing together in Chile. And later they, use, they like when the dictatorship takes power there, the CIA is like providing them with lists of people to kill. Like, wow, 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 crazy. wow, wow. That's kind of the first, you know, one of these kind of precursors you see to making lists of your enemies to go mm. after. Mm. Still a terrible name. Has nothing to do with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm still judging. I mean, I'm judging for the murder, too. But that, you know, at least have some style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some early examples of cooperation between countries. Okay. Comes about in 1968. You have the Brazilians, the Department of Social and Political Order which sounds awful. Yeah, I don't want one of those. Where they were collaborating with the police force of Paraguay. And they were basically like, you guys have some guerrillas in this border region. Like, let's work together. This is kind of the roots of Condor. Because one of the big things about Condor is that you have uh, countries. It's, it's basically assassinations without borders. Okay. <laughs> so that's a crazy... <laughs> idea all right yeah you 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 no longer have to worry about ah oh, shit they got over into this country mm -hmm. that's fine call them up and tell them hey i got some assholes that i don't like over there can you kidnap them for me Boom. oh shit okay so one of the big things about condor is that it's not just those countries like killing people in their own country which is bad but all, this is like a the reason it's kind of a conspiracy is because literally it is it's like these yeah, everyone's like, together. it's cool, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the CIA was instrumental in setting this up. They mm. were constantly, their agents and stuff were constantly going through and saying like, hey, I know this one guy, Chilean general, you should talk to him. And like they were setting up these meetings and then would conveniently find a way not to actually be at the meeting so they wouldn't be implemented. I mean, implicated uh. in that. And, and, you know, so so there wouldn't be a direct, like, paper trail or anything. Oh, that sucks. Okay. Yeah. The whole thing, just like in the Stay Behind Networks after World War II, this was supposed to be deniable. Mm. This was plausible deniability. Maybe this wasn't us. Maybe this was just some bad Maybe they actors. happened to meet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the worst meet cute. Yes. So, yeah, Operation Condor is officially, those are some of the precursors. Okay. Okay, it's officially established November 1975. It's the a meeting called by General Manuel Contreras. I've heard of that name. Uh, who was the chief, the like the head of the National Intelligence Directorate or DINA mm -hmm. in Chile under Pinochet, and he called a meeting of these different intelligence groups and uh said hey let's let's all get together let's see what we can do to stop the communist menace 
And so that's what they did. They got together and they said, let's share intelligence. Let's coordinate. Let's work together. Anytime we need to round a bastard up and kill him. That's really interesting. So like I had the idea in my head that this was a purely like CIA operation for some reason. I don't know why I thought that. Well, I'm, you know, it's something nefarious that America had a hand in. It sounds like it's going to be 100% CIA, right? Yeah. I mean, we were defo invited. Were we invited to the the party? I don't think that CIA was there. Mm-hmm. They defo knew about it, but though, they right? But they set it up. They knew about it. And <laughs> when these guys start calling each other on the phone, they certainly know about that. So okay. here's some more details about how this operation all, like some features of it. Okay. The Condor Group, as it comes to be known, is made up of members from these different states. They're in the militaries of them. They're in their spy agencies. They're in their police. They also have civilian operators, Mm. and they all work with these various paramilitary groups Mm. in their governments, just like in the stay-behind operations in in World War II. They they have these, like, different local groups that they're working with. Okay. So they're not directly connected. Yeah. Typically, Operation Condor worked in three different kind of areas, surveillance and intelligence exchange. So we have a gorilla that we think moved to your country. Can you spy on them for us and Mm -hmm. tell us where they are? Shit. Covert operations, which is kind of covers disappearances of people. Mm -hmm. And then what they called phase three operations, which were assassinations. Oh, fuck. Okay. They kind of have a separate chain of command in each country so each one is is not really reporting to like military chain of command or anything Mm -hmm. it's just reporting to the top dude so like the top guy has all these like secret forces at their disposal pretty much okay so who is the top guy is that that guy that set it up so it could be it's different in different countries some countries like ran it straight through the top general of the junta some Mm. of them ran it through like the chief of their intelligence agency it depended is there a top guy of the top guys, or are they all just no, just evil BFFs? Right, yeah. So there okay. wasn't like a chief of the chiefs sort of thing. Damn, no supervillain. <laughs> no sort of uh, top godfather or anything. Damn, so I can't have a, a fight with just that one guy. And Take the whole thing out? The plot of the yeah, movie? No, 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 no. No, okay. You'd have to go Bummer. through each one. Uh, collect your gym badges. <laughs> this, this whole thing requires a lot of coordination. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And the United States definitely helps with this part. The technology part is where where you have a real smoking gun for the United States. Okay, <laughs> Do we like go lay phone lines down? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. The okay. U.S. gives them powerful computer databases that they can use to hold all the information that they have on these subversives. They also set up computer links between the Condor states and a telex system, which I don't know what a telex system is. <laughs> Do you know what, what a telex system is? What the fuck is a telex system? Telex. I don't know. It sounds like a Mexican phone company because I'm thinking of Pemex. A telex network was a customer-to-customer switch network of teleprinters similar to telephone networks used. It's like a... It's like a fax? It's like a fax mixed with a... <laughs> Older listeners, if you've ever used a telex. Sending messages electronically. Its usage went into decline as the fax machine grew in popularity. All right, baby fax. So it's like you, t- it looks like a typewriter mixed with a phone. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Anyway, they set one of those up for these guys. Wow, we were their fucking IT guy. Yes. Uh, they also set them up with an encoding device, 
made by the logistics department of the CIA. Oh, like a like custom made, like an Enigma machine, basically. Yeah, yeah. A decoder. I was going to say a, a codex. There we go. I've mm-hmm. seen the Da Vinci Code. Everything that they were communicating, we should have known about. It was also, uh, uh, this, this, this was all linked to a U.S. run communications facility in the Panama Canal Zone. Like that was the nerve center of all the communications. Oh, shit. So we were getting all their messages. Yeah. In the mid, like, you know, like you have your switchboard people and they're like, yeah, I'll put it, animal, let me connect you to wherever. Pretty much. <gasps> yeah, probably a different technological way of it. But yes, it was all going to the mm. same place. Like, and so later on, they'll, they'll come out and be like, oh my goodness, <laughs> how did we not know about this? It's like, dude, no, no, hold you on. Were, you knew, they were like, on your family phone you plan. <laughs> you had the yeah, minutes. It's, it's crazy. Oh, that's it's, weird. It's very truly the, you know, uh, the meme of the guy sh- mm-hmm. shooting the dude, and it's like, why would, <laughs> why would these right wing dictatorships do this? Wow. So that's one big link there, but that that's that's not our only kind of link here to this. We are also giving like the United States was also giving training to people. We mentioned the we mentioned some of the precursors to that. They uh, also had. The CIA advising uh, these intelligence departments. Okay. Uh, Dina in Chile, La Tecnica in Paraguay, El Archivo in Guatemala, Department 5 in El Salvador. Ooh, Department 5. Yeah, Battalion 316 in Honduras, and Servicio Nacional de Informaciones in Brazil. Mm, okay. All these advised by the CIA, like how to set how to up, CIA. how to operate. Yeah, how to, <laughs> how to do the shit. Okay. We come along, we lay down their phone lines, mm-hmm. we teach them how to CIA, and now what do they do with this cool new phones and knowledge? All right. So we mentioned that they're surveilling people. The surveys. Right? Yeah, worried about those. They're surveying people in that way. They're watching them. They have spy teams go all over the place. And these are this is international. This is an incredible example of what people can do to work together, except for evil. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because they're, I mean, they're working together. Not seamlessly, sure, there are some hitches, but like they have, you know, Bolivians operating in Uruguay and and, and, and Chileans operating uh, in Argentina and they're, they're like just doing all this stuff. They have different surveillance teams and they're all coordinating with each other. Uh, they are also, when, you know, once they get, once they find out where somebody is, then they go and kidnap them. And usually it's a separate team. You got one person, you know, one yeah, team yeah, yeah. surveilling, then another team, boom, boom, black van, you're gone. Oof, okay. No one hears from you. A lot of people were just disappeared in that way and never heard from again. Oh my gosh. They would take people to black sites, mm. secret locations to interrogate them, torture them. Shit. Uh, one of the more infamous locations was a place called Orletti Motors. Okay. Which was this abandoned car garage in mm, okay. Argentina. That sounds like a terrible Soprano scene, you know? Yeah. Like when they, they move the shot to there, you're like, oh, somebody's getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. And they would bring people in. They would do what's called the submarine, which was just waterboarding them. That's how, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought that would be. Which, of course, as the Bush administration told us, wasn't torture. Apparently. But- <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. but it was good enough for these guys. <laughs> Classic beatings, whippings, Ugh. dismemberment. Ugh. The use of family members as well. Sometimes they would kidnap people with their family. Fuck. And 
utilize that yeah. in the torture. Oh my God. Sometimes they would not, but would still manage to, you know, they knew they were surveilling and everything. They knew where people were. Yeah. I've got a picture of your family sleeping. Well, one of the things that the guy we mentioned before, Alfredo Stressner, one mm-hmm. of the dictators, one of the things he did was he would record the on tape recordings, the, the screams of his torture victims. Oh my God. And then would play that over the phone to their family members. Oh my God. This is literal supervillain shit. Yeah. Like if anyone heard, like how the fuck would you justify? Like, I don't care what's going on. How the fuck do you justify this? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, he would send the bloody garments of their relative to them. Oh, my God. Terror. Yeah. That is psychological Uh, torture. That is just literal torture, too. Like, oh, my mm -hmm. God. Yeah. One of the one of the key researchers that did this work and he was he was uh, kind of the center of the documentary that I mentioned before, a guy named Martina Amada. Is that documentary available to watch anywhere? Uh, it was. Yeah, I watched it on Amazon. It was mm, on okay. Amazon Prime. Weird move, Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's it's real like I mean, it's it's kind of older. I think it's from the early 2000s, mm-hmm. but it's I mean, it's good. And Martina Amada, he was a victim of Alfredo Stressner's mm. regime of torture. Yeah. And he had that happen to him. Jesus. And his wife, who had that played to her on the film, yeah. they told her, you know, come get this guy's body. He's he's dead. And she had a heart attack and died. Oh, my God. And so he, you know, he, he's, he survived wow. the whole thing and, and, you know, live with that. And we'll talk more about what he, kind of his research and everything in a bit. Wow. But yeah, that's what they were doing to people. That's horrifying. Yes. And these are all just... Like leftists, basically, they they didn't really they weren't in power. They weren't like doing shit besides talking about being leftist. Not so. So some were militants. I mean, some mm, were okay. in militant groups, and they're trying to be like Cuba. You should not. Yeah, we shouldn't. We're not saying that anyone should be condoned for torture. Oh but God, like, no. That's the you know kind of the the justification, right? So you could, I guess, come closest to justifying saying like I'm combating actual quote-unquote terrorists if they're militants against you you know not by these means but that's you know who they ostensibly would target but they were also targeting uh i mean that guy was an educator what the fuck i mean he was an opponent of the regime yeah he said this regime sucks uh and and was kind of a, a radical educator but he wasn't a militant oh my god so yeah anyone went basically mm-hmm. anyone yeah, who again. was loud about not we want the them. militants, we want the dissidents, we want anybody who sympathizes mm. with them. Just horrible conditions in there. Yeah. One of the more powerful things I think of that documentary was they were talking with people who had survived, oh. you know, that and where they were just kind of, they were visiting some of these places and saying, and they were, they were different, the buildings now, but you know, they would be like, hey, there used to be this set up there and that's where they would take us. And it was, that was hard to watch. Yeah. Um, oh my God. They also did what were called death flights. That sounds bad. Is this where you're on a helicopter and you just shoot people? Well, you would just no. This is when you were when they would take people up in helicopters and throw them out. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, helicopters, airplanes. This is you may have heard this in in really d- disgusting kind of right wing memes that talk about free helicopter rides. For I have not heard leftists. that. And I'm- um, 
That's what they're referring to. Shit. They're just saying, yeah, once we get in power, <laughs> bye. You know. What the fuck? What a horrible way to go. Uh, yeah. Oftentimes they would tell their the, these people who were in, you know, captured by them already, that they were going to set them free. Uh. You know, and then they'd be like, oh, we're going to vaccinate you before we transport you to the South. But they would actually give them like sodium pentothal and, and drug them. Uh, oh. And then drag them up into their plane, whatever else they were tossing out that day, and toss them into the sea. Holy shit, dude. You know, people would be killed through all this Operation Condor stuff. Women who had been captured and were pregnant, mm. they would just keep them till they had the child. Oh, God. And then they'd kill them and then, like, take the child and, like, adopt them out to... <gasps> regime supporters holy shit. like high-ranking officials or whatever and like raise them you know the murderers of their oh. parents oh my god crazy i want to re-emphasize i mean i don't know about that tactic specifically but they learned a lot of this shit from the united states this isn't just yeah. like look at these savage latin americans like i do not want that to be the narrative here like this, oh, yeah, yeah. this was they went to school for this like what the fuck yeah, they were training the regimes in that, like, in the School of the Americas. Yeah. Before, you know, dur during that whole time, they're training them in assassinations, unconventional warfare. A lot of the officers that were running that mm -hmm. had themselves been trained by this French war criminal named Paul Osiris, Okay. Who was a, a war criminal from the Algerian War. Oh, yeah. Known for just, I mean, he had done death rides out there. And he was the Fuck. one who was kind of talking, you know, teaching these officers who then go and teach these guys. Um, and again, they were learning from their experience in doing terrorism in Vietnam. Yeah. Like these guys were not just coming up with brilliant ways to yeah, yeah. inflict horror. Like it was, they, they learned yeah. from somewhere. Oh, it's just horrible. Yeah, it's really bad. Some specific examples of kind of like higher profile condor operations. Mm -hmm. Like we said, tens of thousands of people killed, so we cannot go through all of them. Yeah. One was Chilean General Carlos Prats. He was a supporter of Salvador Allende before mm -hmm. the coup uh, led to his suicide or execution. Carlos Prats and his wife, Sofia Cuthbert, were assassinated in Buenos Aires in Argentina in 1974. Oh, shit. They were killed in a car bomb. Fuck. A neo-fascist group called Milicia was working together with Chilean intelligence, with Dina, that yeah. group there, and with Argentine intelligence and shit. security forces, and a fellow named Michael Townley, who was a U.S. expatriate, quote-unquote, ex-CIA Mm. Uh, which no one's ever ex-CIA for long. <laughs> <laughs> and he had also done work with Dina. Uh, he was one of their assassins. Uh, he was involved in that car bombing of a uh, Chilean general. Fuck. He was supposed to have, like, security provided to him by Argentina. But, of course, I mean, like, they're in Operation Condor. Yeah. Like, he did not know that he could not trust them, but he could not Oh, my gosh. Another, uh, a possible example of Condor. This is uh, interesting. Like, I had never heard of this before doing research, but it's apparently a thing, and they've done investigations into it, mm. is uh, the very famous poet Pablo Neruda. Oh, okay. 
He may have been assassinated in Santiago, Chile in 1973. Shit. He was sick with prostate cancer. He was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's why he had returned to Chile in the first place. He left before when the whole coup went down initially. But he went back because he was sick. And he left the hospital claiming that a doctor who matched the description of Michael Townley. (gasps) He claimed this doctor had given him an injection and that he wasn't feeling well. And he suspected that Pinochet was after him. Oh, fuck. So he calls his wife, tells her this. His driver starts getting him home. He dies six and a half hours later of a heart attack. Oh, my God. They did studies on him later and they said, yes, he did have prostate cancer. No, he probably should not have died from prostate cancer right there. He did have like a infection of some sort of thing that was kind of rare that they didn't really know. But it was like, hmm, that's could have been. Yeah. This guy just offing somebody. Jeez. I mean, we're really lucky, lucky that like Eduardo Galeano like made it out like shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Another example is a Chilean politician and critic of Pinochet named Bernardo Leighton. Mm hmm. And his wife, Anna Maria Fresno Ovalle, they were actually exiled or had fled, basically, and were living in in Rome, in Italy. Mm. And someone tried to assassinate them in 1975. It's this Italian neo-fascist named Stefano de Acciaia who gunned them down. Holy shit. Like, just out in the streets, just, like, pumped them full of bullets and and left them, you know, permanently injured uh bernardo layton was brain damaged uh. his wife was left paraplegic they did survive yeah this was uh this was like traced to uh, operation condor did put that in motion there's a paper trail on that didn't they have that italian thing too do you think yes, he's connected to that masonic lot oh yeah yeah he is he is for sure oh my gosh he was a friend of licio gay gelly the uh grandmaster of P2, okay masonic yeah Lodge. Whole, this is fucking worldwide conspiracy that's insane it is wild. Yes. That's why I was saying I feel like it's because it's, it's all connected. <laughs> I have a question. Mm-hmm. So I remember at one point you told me that like Castro had like a million assassination attempts. Do you think any of them were these guys? Uh, they did make use of Cuban exiles to take out there, but they're more focused on dissidents. Mm, okay. So they weren't trying to assassinate foreign political leaders. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So much. But there is a connection to anti-Castro Cuban exiles mm. that they use as those paramilitary groups to um, to take people out. Okay, gotcha. There's one example of the adopting children out. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was fucked. Marcelo and Maria Claudia Gelman, the son and daughter-in-law of Argentine poet Juan Gelman, mm-hmm. they were kidnapped and disappeared in 1976. Mm-hmm. Their daughter, Macarena Gelman, was given to a pro-government family in Uruguay and wow. only recovered her identity in 2000. Oh, my God. Can you fucking imagine? Yeah. Oh, my God. And there are so many more cases of that that we don't know about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That they just did. Uh, we mentioned earlier Juan Jose Torres, the ex-president of Bolivia. Uh, he was the one to kind of do, trying to do some socialist things. They got ousted in Hugo Banzer's coup in 1971, the mm-hmm. U.S.-backed coup. Uh, he was then later assassinated in Buenos Aires in Argentina in 1976. Wow. Another kind of possible example is Jao Gallart, Django, that guy. Mm, yeah, yeah. He 
was ousted in that U.S.-backed coup in 1964. Then he was living in Argentina in 1976 when he may have been assassinated as well. He died of a heart attack, but later evidence showed that the president of Brazil at the time, Ernesto Geisel, ordered his execution via poisoning. Okay, yeah, defo. Yeah, that sucks. Yep. And uh, last, but probably one of the more important Operation Condor assassinations because of its high profile, bringing attention to the whole thing, Mm -hmm. uh, was the assassination of Chilean Orlando Letelier and his colleague Ronnie Moffat, who were assassinated with a car bomb in Washington, D.C. in 1976. Okay, how have I never heard of this? (laughs) It's not emphasized because it's a really bad case of... I mean, chickens coming home to roost, basically, yeah. right? It's it's empire come home. Ugh. Uh, this was set up by Italian neo-fascist groups Ordine Nuovo and Avangardia Nationale. It okay. was also coordinated with our friend Michael Townley Ugh. and also with Cuban exiles living in the United States who had been supported by CIA money. Holy shit. Yeah. And the CIA knew about this sort of stuff happening before. Like we said, all this stuff is getting coordinated yeah. through their central base anyway. They, they, they know what's going on. <laughs> they, I mean, they actually get like themselves exposed after that. Uh, the, specifically for the Letelier assassination, Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, yeah. who's like a real villain of He's history. He's the worst, yeah. Uh, he was Nixon's secretary of state. Mm-hmm. He's just a bad guy. Just, yeah, he's just a monster. He had put together this order to express deep concerns (laughs) about overseas assassination plans by Operation Condor. And he rolled those orders, those those like orders to his uh, ambassadors to tell their governments, right? Mm -hmm. He said, go tell them deep concerns. He rolled those orders back five days before (gasps) this assassination. Oh, my God. He absolutely knew that was happening. Yeah, he he was completely in on so much of the stuff he he told uh, Augusto Pinochet about the condor and, and repressive measures that they were taking against their population this is in uh, in 1976 when he starts talking about this and he says uh, look our basic added this is I'm sorry I'm gonna actually just give you a direct quote here oh yeah go for it so I'm not characterizing him this is what he said <laughs> oh god I can't wait he said look our basic attitude is that we would like you to succeed I have an old-fashioned view that friends ought to be supported. What is not understood in the United States is that you have a civil war. We read about human rights problems, but not in the context. The quicker you succeed, the better. The human rights problem is a growing one. We want a stable situation. We won't cause you unnecessary difficulties. If you can finish before Congress gets back, the better. Whatever freedoms you could restore would help. <laughs> He's just like, if you can like make it look nicer, go ahead. But <laughs> <laughs> so when he's talking about human rights abuses, is he talking about them? Like he's like, I get you have to do some human rights shit, but like yes. get it together if you can. Well, he's saying, yeah, he's saying we want. I mean, my line that I took from it: the quicker you succeed, the better. Is get the human rights abuses done with and fast. Like, do them, fix things, and then you know. We're going to try not to give you trouble, but we have to make sure those assholes in Congress don't snoop their nose into this. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. That's why I stuck to the human rights thing. That's why that stuck in my craw. 
It's because that's always our excuse for like fucking around. Like that was definitely the excuse in Iraq. Like, look how they're treating women. Mm-hmm. And like, we got to go over there and liberate the people. And it's like, okay, <laughs> whose fault yeah. is this? Yes. We never look at why they're doing the things they're doing. Mm-hmm. One thing you may be wondering is how do we know any of this stuff? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's a great question. Because this is kind of a crazy listeners. You might be just sitting there like, I really don't know, man. Like, is this, <laughs> this real? All sounds bizarre, <laughs> and it does. And I only knew like the vaguest of this going into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, I got the whole thing wrong at the beginning. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, the people directly involved knew about it mm-hmm. in South America. The people carrying it out and their victims knew that something was happening. Yeah, and the return to democracy in most South American countries comes with amnesty for the dictators and their henchmen who had been in power. Mm. A lot of the regimes coming to power to try to tie everything back together were like, classic, let's move forward, not look Mm -hmm. back. So they tried to do that, pretty much sweep everything under the rug initially. Okay. At that point in time, you really didn't have a a lot of knowledge out there. In America, pretty much all you knew about this was from a book published in 1980 Mm -hmm. by John Dingus and Saul... Landau. Sorry, his name is John Dingus? Well, it's D-I-N-G-E-S, so Dingus, maybe? maybe? I'm going to call him Dingus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was called Assassination on Embassy Row. Okay. And it was about the Letelier assassination, the car bomb in D.C. Yeah. And that had kind of uncovered, like, that there was this, like, conspiracy in this one case but it didn't Mm -hmm. uncover like operation condor as a whole yeah Yeah. it was just like there was some fucked up stuff that happened right there Mm -hmm. that was about it but this book cited an fbi cable (gasps) this was the only documentation they had for operation condor it mentioned there was this coordinated surveillance and assassination program in south america called operation condor that's kind of it this was like one fbi cable that they had that was all Evidence that existed. I mean, pretty damning evidence, though. (laughs) Kind of, but also you can just be like, ah, that was just an F. That was just one FBI agent. Why do we not have any other like? Because they're the FBI and they're good at hiding things, probably. But the CIA would just be like, nope, that wasn't us. I don't know what he's talking about. (sighs) You know? Yeah, I mean, they would also just say that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just it was very scant information for the time, and everybody was just like, huh, weird. (laughs) Okay. In. 1992, we have the uncovering of or called the Archives of Terror. Okay. By the fellow we mentioned earlier, Martin Almada, mm-hmm. working with a judge, Jose Agustin Fernandez. This was in Paraguay. Okay. And this is so this is after the dictatorship there back in democratic rule. Yeah. They find in a police station outside of Asuncion, the capital, mm, yeah. they find this huge cache of paperwork. Fuck. Just papers and papers and papers and they they go there and it's in the documentary this is a really emotional scene they actually flash back and show that uh because they actually went with like camera like camera crews and stuff uh the media following them and amada is giving an interview in the door once they figure out that this is these are documents from the paraguayan secret police oh my god documenting all of what had gone on all the interrogations everything and he said in there somewhere in there is the tape recording yeah the the one of my interrogation that they played to my wife that 
oh. killed her, you know. But they had over 700,000 documents in here recording pretty much everything. I mean, like, it was meticulous detail. If you've ever heard about, like, the the documents that they kept on the Holocaust, like, down to a T, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was like that. It's Yeah, it's, it's just so methodical. They've got photos, Fuck. profiles of pretty much everybody that they had gone through. Fuck. And so they find in that cache of documents, they find an invitation I like to imagine that it was like you were cordially invited to <laughs> some balloons on it. Well, it could have had balloons. This was actually uh, on Augusto Pinochet's birthday that they had Happy this meeting. Happy birthday. Let's do some murder. Yeah. <laughs> An invitation from Manuel Contreras, the head of Dina under Pinochet. Yeah. To attend the foundational meeting of Operation Condor. Wow. So this was like the smoking it gun. existed. Yeah. Yeah. This was 100% it existed. That did not yet uncover any sort of CIA links, any American mm, yeah, links. Yeah, yeah, This could presumably still just be a bunch of South American assholes. Yeah, yeah. Right? But this allows investigators to gather so much more evidence and put together a case against Augusto Pinochet, who at the time was still alive. Oh, shit. Okay. He had been dictator the whole time of the Chilean dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Till 1990. Fuck, that's a long time. I think it was a couple years before that he lost a referendum to rule for another eight years. Mm -hmm. He tried to just keep going, but they were like, no, dude, we're not going to do that. So (laughs) they had elections and he was out. Okay. And they start putting together a case because now they have more evidence of his human rights abuses during his time, during his rule. And uh, so they start putting together a case and he ends up getting arrested in London in 1998. Okay, great. He routinely had visited London. He was going there for like... Some bougie reason? <laughs> at that time, I think it was just a... It was a medical reason or something. Oh, okay. But he frequently did like just go visit former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who was his friend because she sucks. <laughs> wow. To all our British listeners out there, I'm sure you share our disdain. Hey, she died recently, right? Maybe. Yeah, I thought she died. I thought she's been dead for a while, but people celebrate her death. No, it was the anniversary of her death. That's like a a pretty popular thing on leftist Reddit. It is, yeah. (laughs) I think, no, it was that fucking Prince Philip died on her death day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're like, we got two in one today. (laughs) (laughs) And so he got arrested in 1998. She actually sent him a bottle of whiskey as a present um, while he was in captivity. Wow, Um, wow, wow. Okay, I don't honestly know a lot about Margaret Thatcher, but that tells me all I need to know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, when you're that friendly with dictators like Pinochet. Jesus. There's kind of a long saga about him and everything, but in the course of that, Mm -hmm. it's President Bill Clinton who starts the Chile declassification project in Mm. 1999. Okay. Because everybody's saying, we got to get stuff on Pinochet. He's, you know, he's this asshole do you guys have any documents on him and whatever? And there's this <laughs> international <me> <laughs> pressure. Yeah. And they, his administration actually had to kind of try to push the CIA around to get them to release these oh, documents. I'm sure. <laughs> and they, they eventually do. It's, it's, it's like thousands of documents that they have all of course, heavily redacted. This mm-hmm. is the prime source material, uh, especially to Sherry's book that I was um, referencing here a lot. It's, just an incredible amount of information. And that's how we know really like anything about. And that's where we get all the CIA kind of background to it. 
it's also separately declassified documents. So it's also like not a hundred percent filled in the whole thing. But that's how we know, like the precursor stuff about the stay behind oh. networks in Europe and everything. So uh, yeah, I bet like in like 20, 50 years, like we'll get the rest of it or something, you know, like <laughs> some of it. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. At least another piece of it being like, no, they definitely knew like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, that one guy was running around doing things, the ex-CIA guy. Like, I bet there was a bunch of those kinds of guys. And that's the only one we know about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. You know, most people involved in this did not face justice, right? I'm so sure. There were apparently around, there's there's 44 criminal investigations into Condor across eight countries. A total of 118 defendants convicted for crimes against 213 victims. I mean, the numbers we were showing before, way more than that. Yeah. These are just documented ones and in yeah. one country. But these are the, yeah, the documented, ac- the actual, like they, they did an investigation on somebody. They convicted somebody. Mm-hmm. Very limited. Mm-hmm. Pinochet himself was eventually they released him to go back to Chile for health reasons. He famously like stood up out of his wheelchair to wave at people whenever he <laughs> got back because he was just hemming it up. Oh like, my God. What a piece of shit. But then, like, Chile goes back and forth about him, and they eventually put him under house arrest, and they're, like, going to charge him with a bunch of stuff. He dies in 2006 while under indictment, but he'd never been convicted of anything. Yeah, okay. Because, of course, all, you know, they just see their way out yeah. before facing justice. Ugh. A lot of uh, Argentine junta members are also convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment. And this kind of varies from country to country. Some countries... Yeah. Like I said, they initially do the amnesty thing, but like mm-hmm. after a while, they're like, that's bullshit. We should get these guys. <laughs> yeah. And it's really starting with Pinochet that they start saying, let's actually go back and deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So like they could not have found any of this if like they weren't looking in that one like police station. That's insane. Yeah. Why were they poking yeah. around in there? They're just Well, because I mean, Martino Madoff and this judge had been on the lookout for stuff regarding Operation Condor. Martina Amato for a long time was telling people, I got tortured by the regime. Yeah. And, and they, they did all these things and the government and, and other people would just be like, you sound kind of crazy, dude. Like, mm-hmm. are you okay? Oh my gosh. And because there are thousands of victims and all, but it's not like most people had had this happen. You know, you might have a neighbor that happened to or something, but like there were a lot of people who were just kind of tuning it out and, yeah. Not really dealing with it. And so he was trying to prove he wasn't crazy, basically. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people died. So you have that. And then like mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, they're fucking traumatized. A lot of times what happens with trauma is like you just don't fucking talk about it. You know, you repress that shit. Yeah. That's why like sexual assault victims often do not come forward. Yeah. I'm sure that's probably hard to find someone else in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the one of the articles I was reading about him. He was saying like. This is very, not cathartic, but like very relieving, I guess, to yeah, to find because uh, he said, I cried with joy because people used to treat me as though I was making up everything I saw. Oh, he said it was gosh. like an explosion of memory. Wow. Yeah. Like, and, and again, yeah, you're right. We just would not have known this. And mm. if, if all had gone well for them, we would never have known this. That's you know? insane. That's the whole thing is they would they would just not have, they would have just done it with impunity. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the burning thing earlier. It's like, it makes me think in the future, <laughs> what kind of fucked up stuff are we going to find out about? Because I mean, for a while there, right? It was just like 
crazy people sometimes talk about how the government's monitoring everybody's phone calls and yeah. communications and, and everything. Oh, yeah. And then we're like, oh, yeah, they definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what kind of crazy things are out there right now? Like, oh, Ugh. maybe they do this, but it sounds crazy. But then turns out they do. Yeah, would not be surprised at this point. Like I said, it basically comes to a close when the countries return to democracy with different, uh, you know, levels of violence involved and everything. So it's it's not... It's complicated. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's Operation Condor. Wow. That is nuts. I mean, I'm still, like, I feel like I'm on a cliffhanger because I just want to know everything. I just want to know, like, how far, like, in this we were because, I mean, this is already pretty bad. We basically set up their little group. We were Mm -hmm. the fucking sponsor for their after school club. Yeah. And... You know, we taught them how to do it. We set up the phone lines. We, like, definitely were aware of what was going on. Mm-hmm. That fucking assassination in D.C. blew my mind. Like, oh, let me just uh, look the other way while you do this. Like, and, Yeah, and we told their governments, we're uh, we're on your side here. Like, do what you up. need to do. <laughs> Kissinger even told them, do what you need to do fast. Mm-hmm. Before, because that was in 1976, before the next government, because they've, you know, that's already mm-hmm. moved on from Ford to it's about to be Carter before they take power and they try to do things, you know, just get it done now. Why you have friendly guys like me. That's so fucked. Yeah. You're right. We set the whole thing up. We basically groomed their officers into doing this, set them up on dates with all these other officers (laughs) to coordinate this whole thing. We gave them the equipment. We listened to the, that, that, encoding device was yeah. designed by the cia it had a back door in it the whole time they could <laughs> monitor all the communications coded or uncoded yeah absolutely yeah like that's bad enough like don't yeah. get me wrong extremely extremely bad but like there had to be like i wonder how high up people knew about it like i just want to know the juice oh yeah yep uh that's pretty nice the the sins of empire I mean, it's all to protect corporations, right? It wasn't just because, like, "Mm, I love dictatorships. They're my favorite form of government. It's like, I love dictatorships because these dictators are going to let us do whatever the fuck we want, money-wise. I think that it's, in a large part, money-wise. I think that's a big part of it. But I think the money part of it is also a component of the imperialist part of it, of global hegemony, of keeping your sphere in your sphere. And again, the way they were doing that was like, not we're going to rule these places ourselves, but we're going to empower these regimes that look up to us, that we've trained. They want to be like us. They've their interests align with ours because they represent the elite of their countries. And, you know, the economic ties are there. Like if we set them up right, then I mean, we don't have to bribe them or anything they're already ours like they like us yeah yeah that's what i'm really curious about too it's just like the motivations and like i guess i'm just curious about like how much of it was like strictly like capitalist and resource-based and how much of it was like just a general power thing of like we want to basically have all these you know all these countries that are defo on our side because we're still scared of the soviets like is that part of it too I think that part of it, yes, uh, especially early on, America was mm-hmm. freaked out about the Soviet possibilities. But again, I think that they're, I don't know, I go, I keep going back to those, the evidence that they had from their own field operatives saying, 
Sophies aren't here, dude. They're not, yeah. they're not doing anything. We're facing kind of domestic resistance and stuff is they're mainly focused on preventing those societies from doing social movements, from reforms that get in the way that challenge American hegemony in the region, like American empire. Yeah. Well, when you say American hegemony and American empire, like what, what is, what are the like tangible outcomes of that? I guess is what I'm struggling with. Okay. Um, A big component of it is economic, right? Is Mm -hmm. our multinational corporation get to do whatever they want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The balance of trade favors us. We get raw materials from you. We sell shit to you. Just like what we're talking about in open veins. Yes. That's what I was thinking. Big chunk of it. I think another big chunk of it is, is geopolitical. So this is like kind of the, you know, sort of Soviets thing, but it's just projection of power. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter if the Soviets collapsed thereafter, because we're still looking at hundreds of military bases around the world with no Soviet Union to oppose us in modern times. Like America, just any empire just wants to project its power outward. It's, it's the classic, like defend yourself by taking things over. So you have frontier provinces that you can, you know, defend instead of your own homeland or whatever this was also an open veins where they would like fucking quid pro quo votes like in the un and shit with these guys Mm -hmm. so like you would always have backup (laughs) yes yeah you could get what you want to done even diplomatically Mm -hmm. by having all these legitimate (laughs) states that are there that you've set up (laughs) that's crazy um i had another thing what was it do you think another part of this I um I keep also thinking about that quote you had about like the Western Christian thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of it was like we don't want these to these like leftist movements to pop off because what if people here see it and be like, man, we could do that too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think that that's a component of it. Like the there's other there could be entire other episodes on uh, the CIA's domestic mm-hmm. fuckery. In the United States, the FBI as well. Like, I mean, like these yeah. guys have, and we touched on this before some with uh, COINTELPRO and stuff. And like, just in this episode, they trained these countries how to do domestic terrorism and shit. So like, they're probably pretty good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For for sure, I think they they would worry. And this has always been kind of couched in the old, you know, the domino theory is right. Mm-hmm. If a country falls to communism, then the nearby countries might. It's like, well, so you're worried that like they'll think it's cool and want to do it. <laughs> Maybe your system's really not cool and we should yeah. go to a cool one. And so they're, you know, they're worried that, oh, if we let these Latin American countries start doing, you know, the people there rising up and taking power from themselves against the elites, they've got to be seeing some sort of a mirror image of themselves there. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, it's like a culture war kind of thing. And because a lot of these uh, societies mirror, in a way, the American project as a Mm -hmm. settler colonial situation. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. They're initially Spanish or Portuguese. And when they have their revolutions, it's not like, in most cases, not like indigenous people are now in charge. You know? No. It's still the, the, it's still the, what are they, the Criollos or the... Mestizos? What's it called? Creoles? There's like, one time I looked up a fuck. this is a sidebar. <laughs> one yeah. time I looked up a chart of like the Spanish caste system of mm-hmm. like blood stuff. It's crazy. It's like if the woman is white and the guy is this, like it, there's a name for every fucking combination of human skin. It's insane. 
Yeah. That chart is nuts. <laughs> yes. I don't remember what those are called, but they had a, even a name for those. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it's basically, yeah, a caste system. It's real fucked up. But like the descendants, basically. The descendants yeah, of the white Spanish. ones. Let's just yeah. go ahead and say mm-hmm. it. <laughs> those were the people who were in charge, much like yeah. the slave-owning aristocracy or the merchant aristocracy in the United States remained in power. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't all of a sudden we had the American Revolution. The poor people are in charge of a social democracy. It's not that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so uh, you, you have kind of a mirror image of like a an elite trying mm-hmm. to govern a mass. Mm, and they're seeing this version like go away. They don't want their version to go. Right. So they so they're like helping those elites govern their masses. Interesting that they like brought Christianity into it. I wonder if that's just because like I I personally love to connect Puritanism with capitalism. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a part of it. I think mostly for them, it was Marxists being, mm-hmm. you know, seen as anti-religious. And there was also, broadly speaking, in very broadly speaking, in Latin America, revolutionary movements tended to have an anti-clerical, anti-Catholic church yeah. bent to them. Because, I mean, the Catholic church there was doing some fucked up shit. So, like, yes. understandable. Yeah. So, that's I think that's where they were mostly yeah. the, the Christian side of it came from. Interesting. Wow. Crazy shit, dude. You kept me entertained. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> I connected most of the, the yarn pieces in that one. There is so much more. Like, I only briefly mentioned the P2 Masonic Lodge. Those guys are insane. Yeah, that was nuts. Like, I did not expect fucking Masonic Lodges in Italy <laughs> to play a part in this. That was a, a twist reveal. There are so many weird connections throughout all this. If you guys are using the links on the Patreon notes, good luck. You're going to be in a rabbit hole. (laughs) That's crazy. The, The book, again, Predatory States, Operation Condor and Covert War in Latin America by J. Patrice Sherry. That's a really good source as well. What kind of like lessons can we learn from this? Besides, don't do this. Besides, don't do this. Please don't do this. Imperialism sucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, classic. And America is a very uh, interesting country <laughs> to be hectoring anybody about human <laughs> rights abuses. Oh, my God, yeah. Besides that, I don't know. Uh, I think you can take from this, like, when you're sitting here angry about what has been done, mm-hmm. you can try to do things to make sure they don't happen again, like, try to do things to oppose empire okay uh, i mean like we don't have a lot of ways to do this right? yeah i was gonna I mean, say how can, do i do that <laughs> i guess i mean you can try starting small starting mm-hmm. with your friends i don't think in a lot for large sections of of the country and, and the, the of the populace it's, it's probably not a good idea to be like man doesn't america suck even <laughs> if you may feel that way because like for a lot of people it's not their deal but like if you start and you kind of raise questions you kind of empathize with with these sorts of bad things that happen yeah, when they're caused directly or tangentially by the United States. Yeah. You know, uh, human right. The cause of human rights is really popular, even not just among revolutionaries, but reformers libs. I mean, I mean, even right wing, the fucking save the children movement there. They adopted out children. That's a pretty bad one. Yeah. And, and, and you can get to a lot of people by talking about, you know, hey, I, you know, you raise this example of human rights abuses you are saying are happening here. You know, 
this is bad. And also, you know, this thing that America backed up <laughs> and you can even use more modern uh, examples of that. I mean, we were Jeez, no yeah. paragon of human rights in Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah. Fucking Guantanamo, that whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can tie those to America's actions softly and not just in a condemning like America's duh bad because of that. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, we might think this, but starting focusing on why America does these things, why they help dictators target leftist dissidents, but never the other way around. You know, they're never going after the right wing somewhere. Yeah. You can kind of slowly get people to kind of realize that in addition to just this human rights stuff that they're against, like the concept of doing imperialism anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, I think what troubles me about this strat, I like it, but okay. maybe it's just because we grew up in East Texas and we, we know some security nuts. Yeah. People will always find a way to justify this shit. Like, even earlier, as I was saying, like, how the fuck do you justify this shit? I know people who'd be like, well, they had to do it. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, people don't understand. I think what I, th- I've been thinking about this a lot, too, because I'm mm-hmm. also watching John Adams on HBO. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm interested to see the connection. <laughs> well, when people get really pissed about, like, coups and treason and, like, subversion, it's like, you only stay pissed about that if, like, they lose. Because if you win, then you won, and now you're the government. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's really weird that, like, people are so pro-security and so pro-law and order that they are willing to justify literally anything until one side is so good at war that they win, you know? And then, like, okay, I guess they're the new law and order, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I think that you're not, you don't have a chance. Please don't try the strategy on right wingers. No, that won't no, work. That won't, yeah. That's fine. There are other ways to maybe peel off a few of the like less informed right wingers that are just, they just have, they, they're accidentally right wing. <laughs> Whoops. You can get some of them. Yeah. But, you know, they're enemies. <laughs> they're enemies. They're fascists out yeah, there. And yeah, they're just they enemies. They fucking you know? suck. Like, you're not going to convert them. Sorry. You can have your best West Wing argument lined up. It won't work. <laughs> I'm wearing a West Wing shirt right now. <laughs> this is more for libs who are just like, America. <laughs> for libs, for, for Dems who consider themselves basically patriotic. Mm-hmm. America has done some bad things, but could be a force for good sort of crowd, right? Ugh, yeah. They're convertible, I think. Those I guys think, are. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of... I think for a long time in my personal like political journey, I was just like, I don't fucking know anything about foreign policy. I'm just going to not. I'm just going to not play in that sandbox. Yeah. And I think a lot of liberals do that because if you start to poke in there, it's like, oh, shit, we're definitely the bad guys. Like, <laughs> you can't you can't unsee that shit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, young, uninformed me was like, you know, a liberal, but like kind of yeah, hawkish, but like kind mm-hmm. of. America can project good in the world mm-hmm. sort of thing. That's why maybe, maybe that's why I think these guys can be converted. <laughs> Cause uh, you've got is, fucking rad. I don't know. I just think that if, if you can kind of show them like the bad side of empire, kind of start getting them to say, Hey, we can make mistakes. We shouldn't, mm-hmm. we should try not to make mistakes. I mean, eventually maybe they'll see that like most of what we do when we do things foreign policy wise is a mistake (laughs) that we should just be pulling back and like be abandoning empire. And that's, you know, maybe they'll get to that point 
if you can start to make them question what we're doing and what we're saying versus our actual actions. Yeah, I, I think that's the main point is like get them to start questioning it because, yeah, they will come up with justifications of like, no, we're trying to protect democracy. No, we're trying to liberate the people, whatever. And it's like, all right, let's actually look at what's going on. Like, let's look at who caused this. Let's look at who benefits from this. Like, let's fucking pull back the curtain. It's challenging because like these documents getting declassified take so long and it's yeah. so rare that like I'm I'm telling you in like fucking 30, 50 years or something, we're going to get more info on way more shit. And like, like, like you said, we do have more re- recent examples in like Iraq and, you know, Afghanistan and Guantanamo and all that shit. Mm-hmm. But like, I just think it's very telling that like, we don't know the whole story of even this thing that happened in the 70s. Like, yeah. it, there's got to be more juice out there. Yeah. And um, I guess if you if you are kind of like, damn, that was a weak thing that you could do to help. Uh, here's a stronger thing you could do to help that we, of course, don't don't actually condone. But that's uh, stealing documents from the FBI. That's how we know a large part about what they did with COINTELPRO and everything. Yeah. Is people just straight up stole that shit. It's insane. Ugh. And it, it really does make you feel like you're fucking <laughs> pulling out your tin hat, like the government's hiding shit from us. Like, right? It's oh, ugh, it is felt, not so but so. I felt that way all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going around all week. I'd go to Abby and be like, "Did, did you know Argentine intelligence set up their own Condor base in Miami and, and, oh and like God. set up set up drug front like companies that were just fronts to launder drug money to 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 send to their uh to their counterinsurgents in central america like holy shit this was something that was that was free this is part of it kind of a side note but it was in like the mid-70s they used businesses in in miami as fronts to ship weapons to central america the cia helped them set this whole thing up a real thing and they, these are the same countries that we fucking shit on for their drug wars. Like, we literally did drug wars. We were doing the drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were dealing the stuff, basically. Yeah. I mean, like, setting them up to do it. We backed a guy in Bolivia that in 1980 pulled off a coup called the Cocaine Coup. That's a great name. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a party. It was actually just this guy taking power and starting a repressive that sucks. Uh, regime. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, no, I mean, we were completely... Oh, completely involved in that. That's just nuts, man. Oh. If you want to find out more, you can subscribe to the Patreon to get my yes. notes. And if you really want to find out more, you should not do this, but you could like in Minecraft steal documents or something. Yeah. I mean, that'd be <laughs> parody, but, but also maybe. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone should do that or not, but. It would be one way that we would find out more. (laughs) On the other hand, like if someone did that, what would, I mean, we'd find out some stuff and get them to stop it, but they probably just come up with something else. Yeah. It's a drop in the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) There's always going to be more dirt. Yeah. (laughs) True thing. Ugh. Okay. That was nasty. Yeah. That was pleasant. Uh, Pleasant's not the right word. Horrifying. That was horrifying. Yeah. That's a little more accurate. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that, what are we going to learn about next week? Well, next week we're going to return to one of our series that we kind of forgot about. My bad. Our Women in Leftism series. All right. I am actually still narrowing down the list. I am hoping to pick someone by like tomorrow or so. 
but yeah, we got a lot of good listener suggestions and I had a few names in my back pocket that I was thinking about anyway. So I'm going to do some, some Wikipedia dives today and tomorrow. All right. Awesome. Women in leftism coming up next time. You know, I ordinarily do thank you for doing the research. Extra thank you this time because this sounds like nightmare fuel. I hope you're okay mentally. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I have actually haven't had any scarring dreams or anything. Great. You're good at compartmentalizing. Yeah. Yeah, just look at that. So, wow, that was terrible. <laughs> that was horrible. Moving on. Watching something else. Wow. Okay, so. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for doing that. Yeah. That was super interesting. All right. Well, in the meantime, you can find us online. Uh, we are on Twitter at Teach Communism. We are on Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. That's where you should go if you want to send us like a question for a future Q&A. We have a pretty good backlog of those. Might be time for another one soon. Yeah. Also, if you have a suggestion for a future episode, and you can also kind of leave those kinds of things in our reviews for Apple Podcasts. We got some episode suggestions there, too. Oh, okay. As well as some compliments, which I love. (laughs) So make sure you rate and review us there. It's a great way to help people find the show. really helps us. My dream is to actually be, like, ranked in there. That'd be pretty sweet. Oh, fuck. That would be cool. But yeah, you don't have to be a user of it or be an Apple person to leave a review. You can still totally do that. Not a problem. We are on YouTube, if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. And we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For $5 a month, you get access to our notes. This week's uh, notes sound very hefty. Lots of links, lots of sources. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have a feeling we did not touch on everything because you told me the page count and I was like, holy shit, we're not going to finish. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anything that's not cited in there, assume that it came from predatory states. It okay. may have come from the documentary. It's I put the sources at the top. That's how many sources there were. Jesus. So. <laughs> okay, great. So yeah, you get access to that and our whole backlog. It's a very useful resource. And at the end of the year, that's going to go to a local mutual aid fund. So this isn't like going to us or anything. Yeah. Well, Thank you again. Um, go read about something nice. Like, go read a novel, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to go read The Hobbit. I think. Yeah, that'd be nice. Something. <laughs> <laughs> something light. Break the pace of just torture and mayhem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you for being a good student. Hey, yeah, no problem. I Thanks for allowing me to, to like, stim, I guess. Like, <laughs> listeners, oh, I yeah. was... I, have to fidget. I don't know what happened to me as a human, but now if I can't like draw while I'm listening, I have to find something else to do with my hands. And I had to find something that would be silent on the mic. So I found a literal <laughs> ball of yarn that my cat plays with and I was just <laughs> stringing it and restringing it. And that's, that's what my brain is like. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Whatever works. It worked. Thanks to all you listeners out there for your support. And you guys can catch us next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye. Goodbye.